Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with Living Geeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness weird world in which we live. I am your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how you doing? Well, we've survived another month. Um, this is, of <laughs> course, our, our November show, but, you know, for the record, we are recording on the eve of Halloween. Yes. Um, so, October 30th. Um, and I've just been trying to get into the Halloween spirit, just trying to watch spooky movies and stuff. Um, just saw a great movie called Horror Express, which is about a Bigfoot on a train that's killing people and they have to find the Bigfoot and it's played completely straight. Oh man. Um, and that's kind of funny because I think I hear the train in the distance. Hear the train in the distance? It's as, you're, as, you're, as you're saying that. But uh, the cast, get this, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, wow. and, Telly, wow. and Telly Savalas. <laughs> like, when was this movie made? About 1970. Oh my god, that's awesome. I've it, never heard of that. It's pretty good. Um, how are you doing, man? Well, Seb, I tell you, October has been a really long couple of months. <laughs> I hear that. Um, work has been just horribly busy. Mm. Life has stayed interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. I'm exhausted. Oh. Like, to, to put it simply. And then I just, I had decided really, and of course it's the month where we had like, four weeks plus Mm. to pick stories and research them for this episode. (laughs) And I found one really early on. I'm like, Oh, this is funny. This is just a goofy old story from way back. (laughs) And then I was like, Oh man, I need to start thinking about our next episode. And you helped me Mm. look, look up some stories and you gave me one that was so good (laughs) that with four days before record, I completely changed out. (laughs) The one that I was doing for this month. So, yeah. Do Busy I month. do I know my brother or do I know my brother? You do. <laughs> you do. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I always appreciate the help because, yes, this, this month has been kind of bonkers. And so I, I really appreciate the help totally. for that. But you know what? We're, we're, yeah, we're getting ready for some friends to come over tomorrow night. Oh, cool. Do some trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm have some candy nice um i managed to make a paper craft moai oh my gosh yeah mask and then paint it with like textured sand paint it looks amazing by the way i'm really kind of impressed with how it came out it, it was i am no expert in cutting straight lines or folding straight line and yet this thing turned out pretty cool it looks like something you bought at a store like that's how good it looks um, oh thank you are there eye it, holes that you can uh, see through? i i look out of the mouth oh my goodness and it's a very limited view. Like, I can't even wear my glasses. It's so creative. I love wearing it. Wearing this thing. It is. It's pretty neat. I mean, not bad for a $7 download and then printing it on some A4 cardstock. Wow. Anywho. <clears throat> Seb, I don't know about you. I have got a lot going on in yeah. my year this month. I was looking at that in the show um, notes. What, yeah. what, what's new in your weird? Jeez Louise. Okay, so 
Um, I think I talked last month that I was trying to get the bus prepared to go for a uh, drive. Mm. It's its longest drive yet. Drive down to Santa Cruz for a VW show. Yeah. Right? I was very excited for it because it's out on the wharf. It's going to be so cool. I just had visions of it. So uh started the month by busting butt and getting kind of some brake repairs made. Mm. And literally, it was on a Friday. Uh, my son and I were taking it for a spin around the neighborhood just to make sure that everything seemed okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we're making this loop, now understand, we're, we're more than an hour from the coast. Mm, okay. Right? We are, we are officially inland. We're about as east as you can get and still be the San Francisco Bay Area. So we're driving around. And we're coming down this one street and out of the corner of my eye, I see, you know, some houses put a bunch of items out on the curb for free, Mm -hmm. common practice, right? And one of them is a nine foot long surfboard. Cowabunga. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't want to like slam on the brakes or lock anything (laughs) up. I'm like, dude, we've got to swing back around. So we went up a block, came back down and parked and was like, oh my God, this, this really is for free. Now, it's it's a little beat. It's got some dings. Mm. It's had some you know. It's, it's had some duct tape repairs over the years, <laughs> um, but darn it, yeah, dude, we tossed it in the bus as fast as we could and nice. hoofed it home. And we're like, I think the universe just went. You know what, dude? You've had a really rough week. Here, have a surfboard. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 really kind of uh, determined to kind of do some ding repair because it really is it's the perfect length and shape for mm. a beginner board, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's going to be great. You know, even if it doesn't last forever, just to kind of get out and learn mm-hmm. on it. Um, but at the same time, as I'm getting ready for the show, I think I ended up cursing myself. What? Yeah, because I kept telling myself, like, look, man, it, so long as I make it to this show and, and have a good time at this show, I don't even care if I come home on a tow truck. <laughs> right? It's like, look, I just, let me let me make it there. It was a, a weekend where even at the coast, it was in the 90s. Like, oh. It was hot uh-huh. just miserably hot and so by the time i decided to head home that day i i did make it to the show had an awesome time hooray hooray mm. but as i'm you know driving home and i'm like well i'm not going to take highway 17 i'm going to go up the back roads mm-hmm. sure enough oil temperatures are getting way up there the pressure light is starting to flicker mm-hmm. at me and usually that light doesn't come on until you've got basically no oil pressure and i was like oh my god mm. i'm like this is not good and so i limped to a little market up along Summit Road, mm. where at least I knew I could park on a level surface, let it cool down. I could. I, I was in a safe place. I was in a parking lot. I wasn't like in a turnout somewhere. Mm. Um, but yeah, sure enough, ended up having to come home on a truck. Um, and then, it, well, and then the funny thing was the next morning I went out, checked the oil, mm-hmm. and I was like, dipstick's like, I got plenty of oil. Mm. And I'm like, what the heck? So I go to start it, and the key won't turn in the ignition. It had gotten so gummed up over the years and hadn't been serviced. So I've spent most of this month actually working on steering parts. Oh, man. Rather than engine parts. Um, But if nothing else, all of that stuff is, you know, (laughs) better than it was. So do you think the the surfboard was the cause of the curse? No. Oh, okay, okay. Not at all. I think my... Saying, so long as I make it to the show, uh, I don't care if I come home on a tow truck. I gotcha. I gotcha. I think I put that energy out there. Because I was going to say, Cursed Surfboard, I think there was like a Brady Bunch episode kind of like that. Like they went to Hawaii or something. Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no. But no. <laughs> um, I have to say, I did 
Um, I don't watch a lot of paranormal TV anymore. I'll be mm. honest. So much of it is just <laughs> laughable. Yeah. Eye-rollable. Um, but I did watch, it's a four-part uh, Netflix miniseries called Encounters. Yeah, how was that? I haven't seen it yet. It was good. It actually was really good. I will recommend it. Um, <clears throat> and I was watching, I think it was the second episode. Maybe it was the third. I can't remember now. But mm. it was about the uh, the aerial school. Yeah, Zimbabwe. Incident in Zimbabwe on my birthday in 1994. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it was interesting because I was sitting there on the couch watching it, and my wife's behind me, and she's, she's watching a show on her laptop. You know, but she looks up at one point, and of course, the, the, the thing about this particular uh, coverage of this story is a person that I had never heard about hmm. has come forward and is like, no, it's all a hoax. I made it all up. I convinced these kids to, you know, they all got... That's what they say in the Netflix show? Yeah. Oh, really? Now, now that, no, no, no. That's oh. not what they oh. say. That is what one person they interview says. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. okay. I got it. So I'm sitting there, obviously, kind of like with my slightly skeptic hat on because I've never heard of this guy before. Mm. And I'm, I'm watching a lot of body language in this in this uh episode and literally everybody who who claims to have had the experience they're all pretty calm Mm. about it they're like this is what we saw this is what we experienced yes i was scared you know you know um and this other guy he's he's shifty he's agitated he's you know smoking for part of it you know it's it's there's a lot about him that my whole body just goes, yeah, I don't believe him for a second. Was he a teacher at the school or one of the students? No, or? no, he he was a student. Okay, because that he was, there was like sixty kids that saw this thing. How is, yes, how is one guy, one kid, right. going to impersonate like a whole bunch of aliens? That that once? oh, he's he's, he's he's not he's not impersonating anything. It's okay. like it's it's like planting the idea and then all the kids kind of run with it. Oh, weird. Now at the same time, my wife, who is a teacher. Mm of elementary age students looks up from her show and goes, yeah, no, that's impossible. (laughs) There's no way 60 kids would be able to hold a lie together. No way. So what's, what's your take? This is a very famous case. What's your take on it? It it is. I mean, my, my take is that something really happened, but, Mm. but what was really justifying to me, what really made me feel good and why Mm. I'm telling this story was that my wife, who's not as into this kind of stuff as I am goes, yeah, no, mm. this guy's full of it. There's no way that, mm-hmm. you know, five dozen kids could all keep the same story, keep the same lie. Yeah. And not vary from it. Interesting. Like, yeah. that. that's, she's like, no way. That just, that doesn't happen. There's some great footage on YouTube from back in, around when this happened, where the kids are being interviewed by um, a real famous guy named Dr. John Mack from yeah. Harvard. Yeah, Mack features into this episode a lot. Yeah, and um, one of my favorite things about the case is some of the kids describe the aliens as kind of your typical looking aliens, but they had like really long, luxuriant hair. Yes. I love that detail because I don't hear that a lot. And I think it's just, it's a great image, you know? Yeah. You you don't, you don't get a lot of hairy aliens. Yeah. So kind of sort of look like grays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and just the last thing, right? I know I'm rambling quite a lot. (laughs) Um, but uh, this month, in terms of the uh, the Newkirk Museum group, mm. they've been on they've been on a, a national speaking tour. Oh, really? And so uh, Connor Randall has been staying at their place, and he's been in charge of all like the the museum live stream stuff. And so he was actually doing he was doing basically uh, a Professor Connor um, talk on the Men in Black. 
Okay. And talking uh, uh, about um, um, talking about Bender and you know his experiences with the Men in Black and and so I just I tuned in for just a short part of it again October really busy month I really mm-hmm. didn't catch anything but I tuned in for just a little while and one of the things he was talking about is that in um, in one of his books um, about the Men in Black mm-hmm. he talks about the Men in Black actually like communicating to him speaking to him and saying that their like their natural form uh-huh. like like the whole like men in black thing is more of a disguise mm. um is that their natural form is that of the flatwoods monster oh that's creepy that's a, and I... i'm like what yeah i had never heard that before now uh, from what I understand, that book was published in 53, and the Flatwoods incident was late 52. So, obviously, that's kind of like a very recent case, you know, one that got a lot of popular. Mm. So, it, it may have just been one of those things that as he's writing it, he just fits that in. Uh, that's because, if, if, correct me if but I'm wrong, but that creature, like, its head looked like... Um... Like a spade from a play- deck of playing cards or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Flat Flatwoods is is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but the fact that like the possibility that that is the the, the Men in Blacks like actual yeah. form is just so crazy. I was just like, I have to share that because that I don't is think crazy. I've ever, I've heard never that. heard that. That's news to me. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Wow. All right. All right. There we go. There's there's my crazy month in a nutshell. Yeah. Woof. Whew. Tell me about your weird man. Well, well, this month I got to tell you, nothing is as weird as yours. But um, so basically, like I watch a lot of stuff on st- streaming or on YouTube. Yeah, where same. I, like I just hit the play button without really knowing like what video or whatever I'm getting into, right? Oh boy! And uh, on average, about once a year, and I end up watching um, a mockumentary, not a documentary, a mockumentary. Okay. And and I fall for it. And I believe that it's totally real. Right? Oh no! So last year I fell for a mockumentary about a supposedly cursed horror film from the silent movie era, and this month I fell for a mockumentary from 1990 about a Hungarian immigrant named Tibor Nagy N A G Y. Okay. And his family, who were abducted by aliens in 1954 in the Midwest. The film is called The Forbidden Files, and for about 36 hours, I was convinced it was the coolest contactee story I had ever heard of. (laughs) I was even getting ready to, like, how can I fit this into one of my show topics or something like that? Okay. Okay. Um, And then, of course, I, you know, did more research, and I realized that it was a mockumentary, right? Well, Um, there's nothing to say that we couldn't do an episode on mockumentaries in the future. Really weird thing, all these mockumentaries I fall for... They're all French. They're huh. all they're all French films uh, made in France by French people, and they're they're in French. It um, was it was all those years of catching like you know muzzy. I don't know. commercials yeah. or something. It, it, it must be you know there's something about the French language just throws me in terms of me being able to like use my BS detector or something. I don't know what it is, you know. But, um, <laughs> it's all the uh-huh's. But it's it the segment with this guy. It's only about like 15 minutes long because it's like an anthology film. Okay. Okay. It is, in my opinion, it is so well done, and it's so compelling. It just, it blew me away. Interesting. It blew me away. So, wow. All right. Neat. Mm. Neat. I Well, look, I mean, I can't complain. I, I what did I come across? Um, uh, Hardware Wars. <laughs> a classic. Like... <laughs> A, a what is it like a 12 minute spoof of mm-hmm. star wars that i remember from when we were little kids mm-hmm. i didn't remember 
I don't remember what I saw it on. I don't know if it was like our stolen HBO or just what, but it was <laughs> it was hilarious and it was weird. And yeah, sure enough, like that's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plan Nine from Outer, Outer Space, and like it's it's that season. I'm like I, I need to I need to pull out the Lost Skeleton of Cadaver. And oh my that. gosh! Just, wow, you know crazy stuff like that. Heck yeah! Just bad bad B movies. <sighs> Anywho. Seb, you are up first this month, and it looks like we're just heading into the Central Valley here. Is that right? Well, uh, you're you're not too far off. Um, I'm titling my story tonight, Stuck in Lodi Again. Which I think was a little-known country song from 1972. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, so I'm looking at an article that was titled A New Look at the Lodi Incident by an author named Lauren Gross, not John Fogarty. Um... (laughs) It appeared in the MUFON UFO Journal, published by the Mutual UFO Network back in uh, December 1976, specifically issue number 109. And uh, yeah, so the author, he writes, quote, My latest booklet on UFO history covers the beginnings of the UFO mystery from 1895 to the summer of 1947. That's a really long beginning. It is a long beginning. Okay. Um, In this booklet, I have touched on the 1897 mystery airship. Perhaps the most fascinating reading was in the Stockton, California Evening Mail newspaper in 1897. Mm -hmm. For more than a week, the papers all over the coast have been reporting the presence of an alleged airship or flying machine, which many reputable people claim to have seen on several occasions in the heavens at night. The Mail newspaper makes the above statement merely by way of a preface to a most remarkable story story which is related by colonel hg shaw who is that H- per- wait hg hg like hg wells right okay go ahead yeah just go like, ahead hg shop who is at present engaged in collecting an exhibit for the exhibit for the stockton commercial association to be displayed at the citrus fair which will be held in Fresno during the coming month. The gentleman was very reticent about relating the circumstances, as he said he had no idea that it would be believed by anyone, and he was loath to appear before the public. Hmm. The newspaper then begins to quote from Colonel Shaw. So now we're hearing from Colonel Shaw. Quote, were it not for the fact that I was not alone when I witnessed the strange sight, I never would have mentioned it at all. Wednesday afternoon, I went out to Lodi and Lockford in company with Camille Spooner, a young man recently arrived from Nevada. I went to the places mentioned in quest of materials to form an exhibit to represent this county at the Fresno Citrus Fair. We left Lodi on the return trip, I should judge, shortly before 6 o'clock, and we were jogging along quietly when the horse stopped suddenly and gave a snort of terror. <laughs> That's what I should title the story. Snort That's of right, terror. A snort of terror. <laughs> Holy cats. And can I just say, Lockford has one of the best like meat companies oh really like if you want some great cuts of meat or some amazing sausages yeah Lockford meats Mm. totally worth visiting i'm hungry already i know right Mm. Uh, so looking up we beheld three strange beings they resembled humans in many respects but still they were not like anything i'd ever seen they were nearly or quite seven feet high and very slender we were both somewhat startled as you may readily imagine and the first impulse was to drive on the horse however refused to budge and when we saw that we were being regarded more with an air of curiosity than anything else we concluded to get out and investigate i walked up to where the strange looking persons were and i dressed them i asked where they were from they seemed not to understand me but well 
but began well warbling, expresses it better than talking. Their remarks, <laughs> if such you would call them, were addressed to each other and sounded like a monotonous chant inclined to be guttural. I saw it was no use to attempt a conversation, so I satisfied myself with watching and examining them. They seemed to take great interest in ourselves, the horse and buggy, and scrutinized everything very carefully. While they were thus engaged, I was enabled to inspect them as well. As I've already stated, they were seven feet in height and very slender. I noticed further that their hands were quite small and delicate, and that their fingers with, were without nails. Hmm. Their feet, however, were nearly twice as long as those of an ordinary man, though they were narrow, and the toes were also long and slender. I noticed, too, that they were able to use their feet and toes much the same as a monkey. In fact, they appeared to have, <laughs> in fact, they appeared to have much better use of their feet than of their hands. I presently discovered that this was probably a provision of nature. As one of them came close to me, I reached out to touch him, and... Placing my hand under his elbow, pressed gently upward, and lo and behold, I lifted him from the ground with scarcely an effort. I should, I should judge that the specific gravity of the creature was less than an ounce. Wow. That's pretty light. It's pretty light. Um, it was then that I observed him try to grasp the earth with his toes to prevent my lifting him. You can readily understand that their slight weight made such a provision necessary, or they might be blown away. I, yeah, I... Okay, I'm going to let you finish. I have thoughts on this paragraph. Okay, we'll come back um, to this. We'll come yeah. back to this one. They were without any sort of clothing, but were covered with a natural growth hard to describe. It was not hair, neither was it like feathers, but it was as soft as silk to the touch. Their skin was like velvet. Their faces and heads were without hair. The ears were very small, and the nose had the appearance of polished ivory, while the eyes were large and lustrous. The mouth, however, the mouth, however was small, and it seemed to me that they were without teeth. That and other things led me to believe that they neither ate nor drank, and that life was sustained by some sort of gas. Each of them had swung under the left arm a bag to which was attached a nozzle, and every little while one or the other would place the nozzle in his mouth, at which time I heard a sound of a, as of escaping gas. It was much the same sound as is produced by a person blowing up a football. But who blows up a football with a mouth? <laughs> right. From the, okay. from the description I give, I do not want to I do not want you to get the idea that these creatures were hideous. In appearance they were marked, markedly the contrary. They were possessed of a strange beauty. I can express myself in no other way. They were graceful to a degree and more divinely beautiful than anything I have ever beheld. Unquote. So now this is where the the article from the seventies stops. Now I, I continue on with the research, but I, I feel like you have a couple of things you want to get off your chest. So let's. I mean, I, I do. Okay. So one, obviously, if if you've got you know, if you're named Colonel Shaw, I'm expecting you to be talking more like this. <laughs> but that's just you know, you stick Colonel in front of my name, and I think that's just what I do. Right. Um. So interesting. So we've got some. I don't know. I can't even really compare them to grays because they're they're not short. Mm-mm. They're very tall. I mm-hmm. feel like some of the much much older stories we get, we have much taller creatures, and and as we progress into the 20th century, mm. they get much shorter. Mm. Although not, you know, I'm speaking in generalities because there are some variation mm-hmm. on both. Um, I, I I would think even if this bit of hyperbole. Um, in terms of, you know, estimating the weight of this creature at mm. being less than an ounce. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I think regardless of their ability to grip the ground with their, their ape-like toes, mm. um, they would be blown away regardless mm. being that light, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that, that's, I'm a little like, I, they're just, that, that starts to kind of like cross a threshold, an arbitrary threshold in my mind of believability. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it straddles the fence between nuts and bolts extraterrestrials and high strangeness yes um i mean the the only i mean it it, is taking this story at face value you know if we assume it really happened the way it's described i mean i think if you stick with the nuts and bolts extraterrestrial hypothesis i mean maybe you could you could say that somehow they have some technology that allows them to kind of like float around you know like i've seen i've read accounts where people talk about aliens getting out of the ufo and it's not like they walk down a stairway but they kind of hover hover and float up and down Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i mean it it might be some sort of weird anti-gravity um technology you know Um, possibly um you know but it's i don't know the, the the fact that they're almost described as being velvety. Mm. Like I, I think of velvet. I think of that material as being such of like a Victorian era, mm-hmm. like thing. Like that's such a common texture. It definitely has a steampunk vibe, you know, with the weird was... gas gas bags yes. that they're breathing and the velvet. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, so yeah, this is interesting, and the fact that they were like so much in contact. Um, and that the speech was nothing remotely understandable. It mm-hmm. was, you know, guttural warbling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I found pretty interesting. But but tell me tell me more. Yeah. Research here. So this story, I mean, one of the reasons it intrigued me is because obviously the city of Lodi is just down the road from both of us. You know. Yeah. Yeah. About halfway between us. Right. Kind of local. You know, local interest. Um, mm-hmm. So my first my first thought was, okay, you know, this is an article from the seventies. Was there really a newspaper article from the 1890s that had this story in it and yes Mm -hmm. i was able to find it it appeared in the stockton evening mail on november 27th 1896 hey we finally have a story from out this month (laughs) we do this yes right um and the interesting thing is the newspaper article continues the story and it gets in my opinion even stranger so the newspaper article from the eight from 1896 it goes on it says the strangest part of the story is yet to come. It is the lights that they carried. Each hmm. held in his hand something about the size of a hen's egg. Upon holding them up and partly opening the hand, these substances emitted the most remarkable, intense, and penetrating light one can imagine. Notwithstanding its intensity, it had no unpleasant effect on our eyes, and we found that we could gaze at it directly. It seems to me to be some sort of luminous material, though they had complete control over it. Finally, they became tired of examining us and our horse and buggy. And then, I mean, that's fair. And that's fair. And then, <laughs> and then one of them, at a signal from one who appeared to be the leader, attempted to lift me, probably with the intention of carrying me away. <laughs> Although I made not the slightest resistance, he could not move me. And finally, the three of them tried it without the slightest success. They appeared to have no muscular power outside of being able to move their own limbs. That's right, these wimpy aliens. They couldn't lift me, a big, solid American. (laughs) Well, 
After trying in vain to move either of us, they turned in the direction of the Woodbridge Canal, near which we were, and as they flashed their lights towards the bridge, we beheld a startling sight. There, resting in the air about 20 feet above the water, was an immense airship. It was 150 feet in length at least, though probably not over 20 feet in diameter at the widest part. It was pointed at both ends, and without and outside of a large rudder there was no visible machinery. The three walked rapidly towards the ship, not as you or I walk, but with a swaying motion, their feet only huh. touching the ground at intervals of about 15 feet. We followed them as rapidly as possible and reached the bridge as they were about to embark. With a little spring they rose to the machine opened a door on the side and disappeared within i do not know of what affair i do not know of what, what? the affair mm -hmm. was built but just before it started i struck it with a rock and it gave no sound it went through the air very rapidly and expanded and contracted with a muscular motion and was soon Whoa. out of sight Dude, that's weird I have a theory, this is Colonel Shaw saying in the article, I have a theory, which of course is only a theory, that those we beheld were inhabitants of Mars who have been sent to the Earth for the purpose of securing one of its inhabitants, unquote. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So that's, that's the newspaper article. Um, and uh, now what's your reaction to that? That is definitely the weirder part. I mean, the, the, the simple fact that they've, I mean... Am I am I misreading this? Like, is their airship cloaked? Um, or is I, it just they just hadn't nobody had looked in that direction yet? I don't know. I get the feeling that these lights they had in their hand it was almost like the uh, like remote control for the vehicle. Like they flash it and it shows up or something. You know? Oh yeah, kind of like you, you arm the car and the headlights flash. Yeah, or maybe that's yeah. the thing to like unmask the cloaking device. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, but so an immense airship, half a football field in length. Yeah right that's that's big it's that's like big. that's that's really big even for that era because mm. you think about like you know some sailing ships i don't even think were quite that long mm. mm -hmm. you know 100 150 feet that's like you know wingspan of a 747 or something like yeah that, right mm -hmm. probably not over 20 feet in diameter at the widest part so it pointed to both ends so we've got a cigar shaped craft basically yeah. mm -hmm. for lack of a better term but it still has a large rudder it has a literal like ship part yeah i wondered you know i, I noticed that too and i wondered if he meant a literal rudder or if he's describing some sort of um like, like it's got a tail tail fin section of like an airplane you might see i mean if this guy's writing in the 1890s maybe he didn't have the vocabulary to kind of describe that i guess well and that would make sense because you don't get even the first aircraft for uh less than another 10 years right right so okay that's fair that could totally possibly be like a tail section mm. i could see that i could see that mm -hmm. um but the simple fact that it's like you hit it with a rock mm. it does it doesn't make a sound so no it noise. literally absorbs the vibration right of a strike it moves rapidly but it expands and contracts with a muscular motion that makes it sound partly organic yeah uh-huh i've i don't think i've ever heard that description especially from this era it's bizarre right it is really bizarre yeah yeah. As for the whole Mars part, it's just like, eh, it's the nearest planet. It's unusual. Right. There must be there must be people living on the moon eating cheese. Exactly. Moon cheese. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and the last, <laughs> the last thing I did when I wanted to investigate this is I, as I, as I asked myself, okay, HG Shaw was HG Shaw even a real person, right? I mean, I don't think I'll be able to figure out if these aliens were real or not. But is Shaw was he just a complete inve- invention of the newspaper writer, basically? Right, you know? exactly. Um, and I discovered that he indeed was a real person. Nice. His photograph and biography appear in a publication called overland monthly in 1896 specifically volume 28 and although shaw's story this story appears in some ufo books i have never seen anyone reproduce his bio or his photos so i think we have some breaking Mm. news on the pod tonight um i won't read the whole thing but his name was henry glenville shaw okay he was born in england in 1843 um immigrated to america at the age of nine um in 1862 he enlisted in the union army and by october he was a first sergeant in the 25th ohio volunteer infantry um had an interesting war record on the second day of the battle of chickamauga shaw was shot through the right side and back a confederate surgeon bandaged his wound that night but with that exception he lay unattended on the battlefield from sunday noon until thursday night wow yeah he was sent to a hospital near cincinnati where he remained until may 1864 as soon as he was able to move he rejoined his regiment in front of atlanta he was commissioned a lieutenant um, and served there and in some other battles around franklin and nashville um was mustered out in 1865 moved to New York City, where he worked as a reporter on the Jersey City Times and the New York Sun, of which the latter paper he was the assistant night editor. Um, In Jersey City, he was uh, elected a captain of a company in the New Jersey National Guard and uh, attained the rank of lieutenant colonel, hence the Colonel Shaw part. Uh, He came to California in 1872 with an engagement with the Sanford Chronicle. In 1874, he was part owner and editor of the Santa Cruz Sentinel newspaper. No kidding. Yeah, and he also what? edited the Territorial Enterprise in Virginia City, Nevada. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, um, and then for five years, uh, he has since held editorial positions on the Los Angeles Tribune and the Los Angeles Express. So he was a very, um, very active individual, very big in the publishing world and the newspaper. You know, yeah, no kidding. So, um, yeah. I, You know, I, I've got to wonder because... You know, his experience during the war Mm. being basically bandaged up and then basically just left Mm -hmm. for days. Oh, yeah. Almost a week. Yeah. That's, I mean, that seems pretty extreme. I just, I have to wonder if, I don't know, this is going to sound dark. I have to wonder what that experience was like. Mm. Um, Because, yeah, okay, you're bandaged up, but you need to heal you need water you need food to kind of like do that well i i have to wonder if maybe that kind of experience i need i feel like i need to be careful with how i phrase this mm. if that kind of experience kind of opens you more to some of the more unusual aspects of our our, our world our universe as it were yeah, maybe. I mean, I've read a lot of cases of people who say that they had like a near-death experience and then after that they have more sensitivity to paranormal situations, you know? Yeah, and I, 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 don't, I don't know if we can count this as a near-death experience. We don't really have an account of like what it was like to lay there. Was he delirious? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm really kind of just kind of like stretching for a, a basically a wondering if this had some sort of impact. Mm-hmm. on uh, 
on that kind of sensitivity to things so yeah so i think that's a fair question i mean i mean i think in the in the at the end of the day like there are some other writers who point to this specific case and claim that it's the like the first alien abduction or attempted alien abduction situation in american history like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's true or not but what really blew me away is how i mean in many of our other episodes of this podcast like i've talked about some other newspaper articles from from the western united states from Mm -hmm. the 1800s that Mm -hmm. you can find like all the major elements of modern ufo lore you know there's the the famous 1897 ufo crash retrieval case in aurora texas where they found a little little guy Mm -hmm. 1897 the paducah daily sun newspaper there's a mysterious airship that's mutilating cattle 1878 the denison daily news there's a large saucer shaped flying machine it's like everything about the modern ufo like landscape you can find in the pages of newspapers from like the 1800s you know kind of funny how that works it's it's really it 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 blows me away you know because is is it like is the is this a pre-existing mythology that the phenomenon is looking at and saying okay, you know, I'm going to manifest myself in a way that these Americans have already predisposed to, to interpret strange events? Mm-hmm. Is, is, it, is it just simply proof that nuts and bolts aliens have been visiting us before 1947? It's like there's so many different ways to look at this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. really kind of fascinating. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, what, what story do you have for us tonight? All right. So originally I had... Um, I had seen a link uh, about a month ago where a bunch of old um, issues, I think it was, uh, it was like the Saucerian news, like mm. their, their Nexus newsletter. So we're talking early fifties mm. um, and I'm like, Oh cool. I like early fifties stuff. Let's look through some of these. Maybe they've got something that I can use. And I came across, it was a very satirically written <laughs> um, account of basically a, uh, a UFO encounter um, mm. written from the point of view of a person from the planet Mazar, <laughs> which would just be Mars for us, which actually would have been really funny since yours ties into Mars from this month. Right. <clears throat> um, but it, you know, it wasn't really an actual encounter. It was, it was literally poking fun at how people respond to the UFO phenomena. Mm, mm. Um, but it, it was it was hilarious, and it, it might be one of those things where you know we'll pull it back out at some point, and I don't know, do like a little like a little scripted radio play with it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just I was going to run with that. I'm like, hey, this is easy. I don't really have to do any research about it. This mm-hmm. month is being crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I went, I need to think about next month. I'm like Seb, help me find something. You found a couple of things, mm-hmm. and I loved them both. And I was mm-hmm. just like, um, <laughs> "We've only got a few episodes left before we rebrand." So yeah, yeah. folks, don't let's not forget about that. Totally forgot to mention that mm-hmm. at the uh, top of the episode. Um, but yeah, January is going to be our uh, last episode as All Night with the Living Geeks. February will be rebranding, um, same crazy hosts, mm-hmm. all new music, all new art, all that other fun stuff. Um, still, but, still paranormal. Still paranormal. Still yeah, paranormal. obviously, right. obviously. Um, so 
my story this month I'm calling The Beetle in the Saucer. <laughs> it is from the November slash December 1978 Bufora newsletter. Uh, links in the show notes because the show notes still work. Yay! Hooray! Um, so this story is a translated version of the original story it, that appeared in in Four Space number 16, 1974, the newsletter of the Sobeps. Sobeps! Sobeps. Sobeps. The Société Belge d'Etudes de Phénomènes Spéciaux, <laughs> which I believe means the Belgian <laughs> Society for the Study of Spatial Phenomenon, or wow. Spacey Phenomenon, something like that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, so this, this story takes place in Belgium. Grab some, grab some biscuits mm. or some, uh, some chocolates. So, some waffles. Uh, some waffles. There you go. Yes, that's right. Belgian waffles. Uh, on January 24th, 1974, in Eich and the Renfail, Belgium, a little after 4 p.m. that day, Mrs. N.D. Letter N, letter D, as she's only referred to in the story. So I'm just going to call her N.D. Um, was driving her VW Beetle, mm. which I have to point out the author notes was in perfect condition. Okay. Okay, now, whether that's playing on the fact that even at this point in history, people knew that Volkswagens will eventually wear out and start running poorly, mm. or maybe it was brand new. Maybe mm. she just recently bought it. I don't know. Um, but she was uh, driving her Beetle home from the town of Perwez along what is essentially described as a country back road that she knows very well. Mm. Uh, she was approaching a slight hill at high speed, naturally because it's a vw <laughs> that's my reaction I'm like well that makes perfect sense yes you kind of need to get a running start for hills uh when she noticed a red colored form about 150 meters away on her left and level with the ground mm. okay yeah. at the same time as she witnessed this object the car began to slow down maybe because it's on a hill <laughs> i mean these things kind of happen yeah. um she checked the fuel level and wasn't out of gas. Okay. Um, although I, I will note that VW Beetles had mechanical fuel gauges. So if you did start to go uphill, your fuel level, it'll look like it's like, wow, I've got so much more fuel. Mm. Because all of it is sloshing to the back of the tank. Mm. Um, but the car continued to lose speed and the radio faded out. Mm. Now, faded out. It didn't instantly shut off. Like no. you hear some of these stories where it's like, you know, like you think of that scene in uh, Close Encounters. Right. Right. And it's just like everything shuts off. Now, this this no, this fades mm. out, which mm. uh, leads me to think a couple of things here. But we'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, so the beetle rolled about another hundred meters or so and then stopped and the engine stalled. Okay. Okay. Um, which would make sense if you leave it in gear mm. and you roll to a stop and you don't take it out of gear. Your engine's going to stall. Mrs. Endy reports that she didn't take her car out of fourth gear. Like I said, explains the stalling. Mm. The ignition was still on, and so was the light on the radio. <clears throat> okay. Um, now, at first, I was like, well, now, wait a second. Assuming that this is, like, the stock radio, and if she hasn't had, like, you know, a different tape deck or something put in, mm -hmm. why is the light on at four in the afternoon? Mm. And then I go, oh, wait a second. This is January in a slightly more northern latitude. Now, this makes sense. It's probably starting to get dark. Okay. Right? Because it's winter. Yeah. So about 10 meters, about 30, 35 feet from the car was a rather small saucer, about a meter. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a little over three feet in diameter mm -hmm. and half a meter high. Mm. So this is, this is small. This is right? baby. This, this, 
Yeah, it is. It totally is. And it's described thusly. The lowest and largest uh, section was in the shape of a dome, which is white and, I quote, sprinkled regularly with round spots. Okay. Okay. The center was convex, so it's smaller and yellow and had no marking. Okay. So we've got black and white polka dots. We've got yellow. And the top was a flattened red dome. This is the part that first caught her attention. Mm. So the whole object gave the impression of a solid object of unpolished metal. No brilliance, Mm. right? It wasn't shiny. Um, It made a few attempts to lift off, first only getting about 50 centimeters off the ground. So I think that's what, uh, maybe 10 10 inches or so? Yeah. Something like that. Um, Maybe 20 inches. And then finally about four meters up. So you need 10 to 12 feet moving toward and then over the top of the car. Mrs. Endy says that the bottom was flat and uniform gray. Okay. Okay. So we get some, we actually get some really good detail and it comes hovering right up over her. After a few seconds, it appeared again on the left higher and then moved off towards some poplar trees in the distance. Mm. It didn't zigzag or wobble. Now, I find this one interesting because we hear a lot of stories. We even go back to talking about, like, Bob Lazar. Mm. And is that the these, these you know, coils that they use to kind of hover is they'll do this kind of, like, wobble thing at slow speeds. Yeah. Right? This one didn't have that. Yeah. Right? It also made no noise, and it didn't leave a trail, and it didn't change color at all. Mm, okay. Okay? After a few seconds... Oh, wait, no. That's the paragraph I just read. I would say the car restarted all on its own and got back underway while still in fourth gear. Hmm. Okay. The VW specialist in me <laughs> has some real issues with this. Okay. okay. One, <laughs> I mean, on, on a, on a simply mechanical level, Yeah. right? You haven't put the clutch in, mm-hmm. right? So your transmission and engine are still mated in sync. Hmm. If the engine starts back up, and you're in fourth gear, right? This is the highest gear that a beetle has. Right? Okay. This is this is your highway gear, okay? Right? It's it's going to stall mm-hmm. if you're just at idle. It's 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 like you have to have some momentum going. You can't just start in fourth gear. I mean, like maybe downhill on a ski slope, mm. you could start in fourth gear and get rolling. But from a dead stop on relatively level ground, because I, from what I understand, she gets to the top of this little hill that she's going up. And that's yeah. where the this, this saucer is. Yeah. Um, so on a sheerly just mechanical, physical level, this doesn't make sense. Right, right. Right. This car should not be able to, to start running again. Right. You don't shut the ignition off and then restart it. It just restarted all on its own and started moving again. Okay, but but I'll come back to this in a second. Okay. So after the saucer departed to roughly the east-northeast, Andy drove straight home. She's like, yep, okay, that was a thing. I'm heading home. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Mm -hmm. So the report goes on to explain that the event was investigated within 48 hours of being reported, but there was no physical evidence given the hard clay of the ground. Mm. Um, There were no other witnesses. So it's very possible that it could be a hoax. Um, But the author of the story doesn't believe so because Mrs. Endy was questioned for almost six hours over two sessions and her story stayed steady. Mm. Um, they even went so far as to ask her what station she was listening to and if she could recall what song was playing. Mm. 
Um, They went a step further and tried to test the stalling theory with a car of comparable size, although they don't bother saying what type of car it is, Mm. and didn't make it as far as the Beetle did. Okay. Right? Um, So when I look at this, like I say, when I look at this from a strictly like, could these things happen with this car? Mm-hmm. right i tend to go no right like i i i have i have accidentally tried to take off from a start thinking i've shoved my car into first gear when i've shoved it into third mm-hmm. and and it bogs down pretty hard okay right and it it doesn't want to get going so to have it in fourth uh-huh. the next higher gear no that's just it's not going to happen but what i think may have happened in this situation is not so much that whatever effect befell the car Mm. befell just the car right it's not like things shut off instantly Mm. they faded out there was a draw down of power um so it it's almost as though the object the saucer kind of was uh, how do i want to phrase this Hmm. was kind of affecting the reality around it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I was really excited to hear your take on this story is not only do you know automobiles better than I do, but you're 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 the closest thing to a VWX vintage VW expert that I know, basically. Well, and, I know ones who are more experts than me, <laughs> but but they're not on this show, so. But but this is interesting because that you're able to see things that I didn't see because, you know, assuming that this story occurred as written, um, it suggests that the craft emitted some sort of high strangeness beyond itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Almost yeah. as if, um, like, if you can imagine, like, a, a bubble mm-hmm. around this site where as you kind of pass into it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's almost as though you and your vehicle are kind of taken out of reality. That's why you get the 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 radio fading out rather than a sharp cutoff yeah you know and it's it's how it's almost like the vehicle still actually is running has momentum Mm -hmm. but you're you're kind of taken out of our reality for a moment what what and so as as that as that passes as that is removed Mm -hmm. that momentum that everything is still running kind of like picks back up it's like it's 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 you're you're paused mm-hmm. for a second for lack of a better term when you read this story um what what was what was your head canon of the beetle like did you see it as a 70s beetle or a 60s beetle or um i mean there's a drawing in the before journal right um and it is it is i mean it's it's not the best drawing i've ever seen but i'm not gonna judge the artist i mean i'm (laughs) look i'm better at drawing buses than i am drawing beetles so like no hate man no hate um but it was detailed enough to have the vw 1303 badge on the back so it's definitely a 70s beetle okay um and while no color is mentioned of it i did picture it blue blue okay all right for whatever reason i gotta say that drawing like yeah uh, i have a i have so many thoughts about that drawing like <laughs> the beetle in the drawing and the little ufo in the drawing they're so in my opinion they're both so cute it's like the two vehicles are having like a showdown like who's cuter you know 
Yeah. Like that was the thing. And the other thing I got from it is like when I read the article, this is a really dumb point, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like they use the French word for the, like what the beetle was called in France. Oh, it's like yes. croquette or something. It's not croquette, but it's something it's, like it's that. It's not. No, it's it is it is it's a similar looking yeah, and word. I had to Google that and it, it just it, were, it, it was like, oh, OK, that's what they call a bug in France. And it just made me think like, wow, bugs are not called bugs everywhere in the world. It's like other no. countries have their own languages and they obviously call them different things. Yeah, um, but, exactly. Yeah, because um, it was I'm sorry, I'm looking for it very quickly here. Um, uh, Cosinelle. Cosin- yes, thank you. C-O-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-E. Cosinelle. Right. Right, and I was like, the uh, Volkswagen Cosinelle, I don't know, is that like a Sirocco? What is that? I don't know, <laughs> what are we talking about here, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, th- that that is how, you know, if, if I'm going to take this one witness story mm-hmm. and go, okay, how could this be real? Mm. If, if it doesn't make sense, you mm-hmm. know, mechanically, physically, um, is that it, it, I think it basically was, you know, there was a patch of unreality okay. that it moved into because of that saucer. And once that saucer left, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of takes that with it and reality kind of comes back up to speed. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately it is one of those things where it is a, it is a one witness story. So while I don't, I, I mean, you gotta be a special kind of person to want like, the attention and potentially ridicule that you know a ufo experience brings mm. but it's interesting because she she chose to stay anonymous do you know what i mean like if you're going to make up a story to get famous you might as well just put your real name out there you know oh, what i mean right right and we just get initials yeah no you're absolutely right and i um i did not have the time to kind of like try to find the original belgian mm. Uh, newsletter. I don't know if if a more complete name is given in that. Um, but you're, the, you're you're absolutely right. Even the name is cute. So Beps. <laughs> so Beps. yes. So Beps. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's there was. I read this story and I I, I was like, wait, a, a, a one meter diameter saucer. That's tiny, you know. And that was I that thought that was. Then something started ringing a bell in my mind. And I was like, why does that sound familiar? And I actually got an interesting, like, little tie into your story here. And I just got to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Hit me with it. Lately, I've been reading a lot of writings by an old school UFO researcher named Leonard Stringfield. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, full full disclosure, you know, Leonard Stringfield, some people love him. Some people, he drives them crazy because basically he would publish testimonies that he would he would get from interviewing people. He kept everybody anonymous, which drove some people just crazy. And so not only is this stuff kind of hearsay, but sometimes it's like second, third, fourth hand kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can get it, if you can get over that, like the stuff he writes is amazing. And in his defense, like he's been dead a long time, but his papers still survive. And there's some researchers that have gotten permission to view this stuff. And they like look up who these people are. And they're like three-star Air Force generals. Like they're like legit people, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he wrote this one little section. And it's a really small like throwaway thing. But I, I got to include it here because I, I, who knows? Maybe there's a connection to this guy, this situation. So he writes, Stringfield writes, quote, The following letter quoted in part dated June 22nd, 1978 
was received from a source in Florida who prefers that his name be withheld. And then he goes on to quote the letter. In 1951, I became a very good friend with a major in the Air Force, now deceased. I worked for him part-time, and while I was in his house one day, he casually tossed a book to me to read. Even though this was over 25 years ago, I still remember distinctly the words on the cover. Classified. <laughs> I read the book and thought that it was science fiction. I don't remember what much of what I read, but one picture I'll never forget. The photo showed three or four Air Force personnel holding saucer objects by their rims. The objects were about three or four feet in diameter hmm. and were identified as UFOs. Printed on the bottom right-hand corner was official, Uf official U.S. Air Force photo, unquote. These were remote-controlled UFOs that had been captured by the Air Force that much I do remember, unquote. And huh. and it's crazy because it's like I, I can't think these two stories, like I can't think of any other stories that talk about saucers that are that small. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I just, hey, who knows? Maybe maybe there's, a, maybe there's a connection. I don't know. Very possibly, you know. I mean, they could just be, you know, an, uh, an alien culture's version of a remote control drone. Yeah, right, right. You know? Yeah. It's it's tough to say. I, I'd love to see that picture. I won't lie. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right. All right. Well, every month, Seb is going to dig in the old-timey newspaper archives to unearth a story of high strangeness. Seb, what do we have to grace the Thanksgiving Day table with this month? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have an article from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram newspaper. That's Oh, boy, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Dated May 23rd, 1955. And I got to say, we... This has been a saucer-heavy episode, so why not? Why, might, might as well go full bore in and do another saucer story. Um, this is an article written by a, a journalist named Dorothy Kilgallen. Now, she was a really big. Uh, I'm say this name sounds familiar. She, she was a really big name back in the day. She was the okay. only journalist to score a one-on-one -on -one interview with Lee Harvey Oswald after he was arrested in Dallas. Oh wow! And she has she also has a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So she was like a very well known household name kind of reporter back in the day. So so this is an article from 1955, and uh, here we go. From another planet, flying saucer wreckage assures Britons of reality. <clears throat> Remember the creepy stories about flying saucers and little men from outer space? Dorothy Kilgallen has run into a new one in London. Here is her dispatch to the New York Journal American on what a British official thinks about those little fellows. Dateline London. I can report Sunday on a story which is positively spooky, not to mention chilling. British scientists and airmen, after examining the wreckage of one mysterious flying ship, are convinced that these strange aerial objects are not optical illusions or Soviet inventions, but are actually flying saucers which originate on another planet. The source of my information is a British official of cabinet rank who prefers to remain unidentified. And then he, she quotes the cabinet official, quote, We believe on the basis of our inquiries thus far that the saucers were staffed by small men probably under four feet tall, unquote, my informant told me. Quote, it's frightening, but there is no denying that the flying saucers come from another planet. The official quoted scientists as saying a flying ship of this type could not possibly have been constructed on Earth. The British government, I learned, is withholding an official report on the flying saucer examination at this time, possibly because it does not wish to frighten the public. In the United States, all kind of explanations have been advanced, but no responsible official of the U.S. Air Force has yet 
has, uh, has yet in intimated that the mysterious flying ships actually vaulted from outer space. Hmm. So, yeah, kind of a weird, funky, again, another kind of like basically anonymous story. But, I mean, hey. It, it is. And how many times, like even, you know, 70 years later, do we get stories where it's like, oh, I have a source who told me this. Mm -hmm. And they they want to investigate it, but they don't want to scare people. And so... it's It's been yeah. like... It's like 70 years worth of foreplay. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, hey, you know, that's fine. But, I mean, come on. Let's, let's, get a little, let's, get a little, let's go a little farther, right? You know? I don't yeah, know. He, as the UFOs make it to second base. <laughs> uh, man, 70 years worth of foreplay. That, man, if... if Is that going to be our new podcast title? <laughs> I mean, it might have to be. After after our unintentionally foot focused episode of last month, <laughs> I know, right? Oh um, no! Ugh. Yeah, that I might have to do something with that, but I've got a day to figure that out before right. I post the episode. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> but you're not wrong. That's the thing. <laughs> but I'm not you're, wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> it doesn't help us out though. It doesn't it, help it, the frustration. It, it, no. <laughs> you know. True. I mean, I guess there are ways to manage that mischief. I but, guess, um... but I don't know, dude. <laughs> these these poor aliens. They they're like we're we're done with this Earth species. We're out of here. Oh man! And and here they thought Earth girls were easy. I know, right? Uh, Holy cats! Davis. What a wow. movie! What a what movie! movie. <laughs> what a show! Yeah, no kidding. What a way to round out the month here. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, that is that is it for this month. Uh, thank you for joining us on this slightly inappropriate adventure into the weirdness <laughs> that surrounds us every day. You can follow us on Twitter at All Night Geeks. You can follow me at BusBuddha71, and you can follow Seb. At Clan McMuffin. That's right. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, um, you know, the, the Lockford Meat Company. Maybe they've got a place <laughs> where you can uh, uh, subscribe to podcasts. They probably don't. But go get some sausages. Uh, please rate and review us as well. And just as importantly, share us with your friends. Man, word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around. And we would appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast. Uh, big thanks, as always, to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from the uh, from Outer Space from the album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Go give them a follow on the social medias and hit up thegooliesdenver.bandcap.com to buy their music. <clears throat> We've got merch that's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That's right. Shirts, buttons, stickers, hoodies, probably now that we're getting into fall and winter. Go check that out. And thanks as always to Kate the Steam Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. Uh, if you want to throw us a few bones uh, to keep the hosting going and stuff like that, we would appreciate it. You can do that at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. And that is it for us this month. We will catch you with sleigh bells on next month. And in the meantime, go out and find something weird. Good night. Good night, folks. It's, it's been yeah. like, it's like 70 years worth of foreplay. <laughs>